The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. You can remain standing. It's time for the reading of Scripture. We're in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. There's um, Bibles on the floor if you need one. We're on page 942. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who is a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God, and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to the eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This has been the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, we're back in Romans this week. We took uh, last week off as we talked about our, our value as a church to be a, a multicultural, multi-generational church. And uh, if you weren't here, uh, I'd encourage you to uh, grab the podcast, not because it was uh, awesome, but because it is such a deep uh, value of who, you are, of who we are. It will explain a little bit to you uh, about uh, who we are and what we're about and what is so important to us. Uh, but this week we're back in Romans and uh, our series in Romans is uh, the gospel changes everything. And what we're doing is we're looking at how does the gospel change everything? Uh, and that's what Paul is writing this letter about. He's writing this letter to the church in Rome and he's describing to them the gospel that he's been proclaiming. And he's describing them the gospel that has come and has changed him. Paul, who was uh, a Jew of the Jews, a Pharisee, he hated Christians. Uh, in fact, he, we know he hated them so much that he stood by and watched the garments of the men who stoned the first martyr, Stephen, to death. Uh, he went from city to city and town to town trying to lock up and see that Christians were, were eradicated from society. He hated them. And yet one day on a road, all of a sudden Jesus appears to him and Paul is radically converted to becoming a Christian. Uh, the gospel came and changed him. And, and that's the story of Christianity. 
The story of Christianity is, is not a group of people who believe in living good moral lives. The story of Christianity is about a Jesus who came to every single one of us personally and saved us, who brought us out from going one direction, just like Paul was, and turned us around until we're going in a different direction. And so what the, one of the big reasons that we're going through this letter is that the gospel, if we truly understand the gospel, it redefines what we think about what Christianity is. It's not a religion that we hold. It's not a group that we belong to. It's not even a, a set of beliefs that we believe, though it encompasses all of those. Christianity at its very soul is a story about, that's what gospel means, it's news or a story of who Jesus was and what he did for every single human being. And, and we won't really truly, if you're a Christian, you won't truly really like get excited about the gospel, get excited about Jesus, you won't, your heart won't truly be deeply and radically continually changed unless you understand exactly what you were brought out of and what you're brought into. If you're somebody here who's considering the claims of Christianity, you won't truly understand the truth about Christianity until you understand just exactly what is wrong with the world, what is wrong with each of us as human beings and how the story of who Jesus is and what he did for us on our behalf until you understand exactly how what he did addresses the deepest problems of humanity. We won't get it. Because let me tell you, like, it's not, if, if Christianity is just about some group to belong to or some set of beliefs to believe or some moral code to follow, then check me out. Because as much as I love you guys, as much as I like church and I like the whole thing, it's not all worth it if it's just a set of beliefs to believe or a set of group of people to belong to. Because frankly, it, there's a lot, like Christianity, the church can be really messy sometimes. And to believe what we believe is not very popular in culture. And to follow the, follow the moral code that Christians you know, hang our hat on, which we believe that the Bible teaches, to hang our hat on, it's just trying to, trying to follow some sort of moral code, doesn't sound like a lot of fun unless it's true that Christ came to deliver us from death into life. That's the story of the gospel. It's the story of Christianity. It's nothing less than that. It is earth-shattering news to every single person who hears it and believes it. It answers the deepest problems of humanity and the world. It answers your deepest problem. It reaches you in your deepest longings of your soul and just like nothing else absolutely will. Two weeks ago, we looked at chapter five, verses six through 11. And what we saw on there is that Christians rejoice because we have been reconciled or made right or brought near to God while we were still sinners or enemies of God. That's what Paul said in verses six through 11. He says, we rejoice because we've been reconciled or brought near to God while we were still sinners and enemies of God. We, that, and that's a great reason to rejoice. And so now we get into our passage, verses 12 through 21. And, and what this passage does is that it doesn't exactly so much build upon this passage from two weeks ago as it does build under 
the passage from two weeks ago. So here's what Paul is doing. He's saying Christians have a reason to rejoice because we have been reconciled. We can be assured because we have been reconciled by Christ to God, then we can know that no matter what happens around us, no matter whether the ship is going up or the ship is going down, no matter where the, the clouds are sunny or the clouds are rainy, no matter what is going on around us, that we can still rejoice because we know that because Christ has reconciled us to God, he's going to bring us through to the end. And now he goes underneath that and he says, and here's a bedrock truth that stands underneath that. This is how we know we can rejoice. This is how we can, as believers, have full assurance that it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. See, that is one of the great truths of the gospel for believers. It's the truth that it's going to be okay. It's not okay. Some of you are going through things right now that are incredibly difficult and incredibly rough Some of you have been sinned against and your life has been torn apart because of what some things that other people have done to you. And that's not okay. But here's the beautiful truth of the gospel. It says, because Jesus came and has reconciled us to himself, it's going to be okay. One day, it's going to be okay. It's going to be made right. The passage was that we were in two weeks ago says that the Christians have such an assurance of a reconciliation that we can rejoice. And here Paul says, and here's the cornerstone that lays underneath it. Here's the the bedrock or the foundation truth that tells us that how exactly Jesus conquered our biggest problems in order to reconcile us and how that brings us deep, deep assurance. So let's look at it. Uh, in, in order to, let's look at this first verse and then we're going to go back and, and try to understand exactly what Paul is saying here. He says, therefore, he's hearkening back to the assurance that we have as believers because of the work of Christ reconciling us. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Uh, First of all, to understand what is really wrong with us and what is wrong with the world around us. What is the great problem that Jesus is fixing for us? We really have to understand the bedrock of who we are as human beings. And that's what he's talking about here. When he says that sin came through one man, he's talking about Adam. So if you have your Bibles, you can pull them up and turn back to Genesis 1. If you're new to Christianity, it's right back in the very beginning of the book. Just turn back there. You'll find Genesis is the first book of the Bible. And obviously, Genesis 1 is the first chapter. And you turn to verse 26. So... what, what has happened here is that God has been creating the world. He's been creating creation. And now on the, the last day of creation, he creates the animals. And now he turns to his one last creation that he's going to create before he takes a rest. Verse 26. And then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea 
and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, hear that. So when we say man today or mankind, we're talking about male and female, all of mankind, he created them. Verse 28, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Jump down to verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And it was evening and it was morning the sixth day. Now, we start off with this, this truth that God created mankind and mankind was made right with God and mankind lived in harmony and union with God. It, when it describes, it, to, to really get this picture, God said, let's make man in our image. Unlike any other part of creation, God put his imprint, his thumbprint on mankind. He created mankind in the Imago Dei, the image of himself. He made man to represent God on earth and then to represent creation back to God. He made us in a very special and particular role. Uh, one of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis, if you have ever read uh, The Chronicles of Narnia, any of those books, uh, he, he wrote a kind of a lesser known trilogy called The Space Trilogy. And um, it's not quite as popular because it's a little bit esoteric and it's kind of out there a little bit, but I love it. It's, it's amazing. The second book in the series is called Paralandra. And, and the picture of Paralandra, without getting too deep into it, is... Uh, a man is sent by God to Venus where he walks, he kind of walks in on God's creation of the world and Venus and he runs into Venus's Eve. And, and the, the wording that C.S. Lewis describes to des describe what it would be like, can you imagine what it would be like to run into the original man or woman made in the image of God? How incredibly beautiful or handsome, how, how, uh, how royal they would have been, how, how incredibly smart and intelligent and pure they would have been. We can't really wrap our heads around what it would be like to see Adam and Eve as they were created before the fall in the image of God. Can you imagine what that would have been like? It would have been incredibly intimidating to be around them as us as being fallen human beings. They were made and they were covered in the glory of God, made in the image of God, yet covered with the glory of God. They were righteous or innocent before God. They were in union with him. They, they describes later on how God would come down. And the picture that we have is that God would come down in the cool part of the day and he would actually walk through the garden with Adam and Eve and they would talk. And who knows what, what does God talk about with the apex of his creation made in his image? I think they would talk about vistas that he had created that they had seen and animals that he created that they had named and things that they were finding out about themselves and their relationship and about this world. It was amazing. It would be amazing to see mankind made in the image of God before the fall. They were living in perfect righteousness, unity with each other and with the creation that God had created and with God himself. There was unity with God. Men lived in perfect harmony with, 
with other man, with his wife. God lived in, mankind lived in perfect harmony with God and he lived in perfect harmony with creation. It was a glorious, glorious thing. Can you imagine how wonderful that would have been? They lived in paradise. They had jobs given by God. Think about that. It says that God put them in a garden and God gave them or commissioned them roles there in the garden. Perfect unity, perfect love, perfect righteousness, covered with the glory of God, made in his image. It would be something to behold. And yet, we don't get very far into the story. In my Bible, it's the next, very next page. We see something incredibly terrible and incredibly tragic and incredibly sad happen. In chapter three, in verse six. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise... This is after the serpent came and tricked her and deceived her and told her God was trying to withhold basically from she and Adam the the truth of good and evil because they were going to be like God. Hey, listen to this. This is how amazing it was to be made in the image of God as Adam and Eve. That when the serpent said, if you just take this fruit and you know good and evil, then you will be like God. That's how glorious they were. It wasn't a crazy thought for Adam and Eve to think if we do this, all of a sudden we can be like God. And she took of its fruit and ate the one thing God said you cannot do. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And hear what happens as soon as that happens. Verse seven, then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. All of a sudden, this man and woman made in the image of God, living in perfect unity and harmony with each other. As soon as they sin against God, if they disobey, they commit treason against God's express command, as soon as they do, all of a sudden, they become self-conscious of themselves and they want to hide themselves from each other. And then... The tragic thing happened. And then they heard the sound in verse eight of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And man, and the man and his wife, who before we picture would have run to God when they hear him coming, all of a sudden they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. And God says, hey, what's happened here? And the man says, hey, that woman that you gave me. Hey, can you imagine how, how odd this would have sounded? They had lived in perfect harmony. It sounds normal to us, but they lived in perfect harmony with each other. All of a sudden, God says, what has happened? And man says, that woman you gave me, she, tricked, she gave this to me and I ate. And the woman says, this serpent, he deceived me. And then the terrible thing happens. God hands out a curse. And he says uh, to the woman, 
He said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, or your, your desire will be to control, is the wording there, for your husband, and he shall rule over you. The, the two beautiful parts of being a female, of being feminine at the time of giving birth, of, of procreation, and living as a helpmeet in perfect unity to her husband, all of a sudden that perfection, that unity, that, that righteousness, that peace is now broken and childbearing itself is going to be difficult. And the one who you're supposed to be in perfect unity with and be a help me to, all of a sudden you're going to want to control him. Verse 17, and Adam, he, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. All of a sudden, creation that mankind was placed in and had been in unity with, all of a sudden, he's actually kind of warring with the earth itself. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. Here's the, the really, really sad part. This man made in the image of God, made to live in unity with God forever and ever, all of a sudden, to the, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Death, sin enters, the man, mankind is separated from God and death enters. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all men sinned. What happens when Adam and Eve, when they sin, is that mankind falls and the union with God that was the hallmark of mankind was gone. And we have this picture of mankind, of this fallenness that enters into mankind after that. That everything, all the potential that we had, all the, the, the glory that we carried of God, that God had placed upon us, all the abilities that he had given us, all of a sudden they start to break down. And the union with God is lost at its very core. Separation from God enters as sin enters and so does death. And here's the story that Paul is telling us. He says that the story of Adam and the fall of man explains the story of every single one of us in this room. As much as we would like to think that we are autonomous beings who are self-determining and what I decide about my life and how I, the decisions that I make determine what direction I go in. The truth is that we are not as self-determining as we actually think that we are. The Bible says that through one man, through Adam, sin entered into the world and therefore death entered. And he says, and that has passed down to all of us. That in Adam, he, and here's what's crazy about this, and, and you may push back against this, and I totally understand it, but in Adam, what it says is that we all became sinners. Uh, that we all sin, but what it, the, the wording here, what it's saying is, is that we're, we don't, we're not sinners because we sin, we sin because we're sinners. That in Adam, 
our future, our fate was sealed and determined. And in case you think that's unfair, and you can think it's unfair, and there's really, God doesn't explain to us in anywhere in scripture exactly why that is. And that can be frustrating for those of us who'd like to know exactly why did you set it up this way? He doesn't explain it. He just says, that's the way that it is. But in case you think that it's unfair, think about this. What kind of man represented us in the garden before God? The man who was made in the image of God. The man who was covered with the glory of God. The man who was in unity with God. The man who we could not imagine what that state of being would have been like. In other words, Adam was the best we had to offer. You and I would have fared no better. How many times have you transgressed the commands of God this week? Adam, once. I mean, he might have sinned after that, but the, all that's recorded is this one trespass, this one sin that breaks union with God, that brings sin into the world and therefore death. And you know what happens after that? That oh, generation after generation after generation Sin cascades upon itself and cascades upon itself until we find ourselves in the situation that we're in today. Uh, Nate Evans, uh, I was over at his house for a community group a couple of weeks ago and he got this book in and it was re really interesting and he was talking about how, uh, how the conditions of the world, how, how much they have improved over the years and how much better it is across the world. And of course, not everywhere, but just generally speaking, big picture, macro picture, how much better the world is today in conditions than it was generations ago. And that's 100% true, but you know what has not changed? It's human beings. No matter how good a situation we find ourselves in, don't we continually foul it up? Over and over and over again, the history of humanity is one of us seeing good things around us and really royally messing them up. Some of you are in here, you've been in relationships with maybe a family member or a spouse or someone else and it was a good thing and all of a sudden you or the other person did something seemingly out of the blue, seemingly incredibly stupid and your relationship was severed and it can never be the same again. And you regret it, you would love to put it back together. But yet, that's what we do as human beings. We're continually, no matter what our circumstances are like, we're continually messing things up. That's because fallenness has become the state of mankind. We've been removed from what made us good because the only thing that made us good as human beings was that we were made in the image of God. And when we followed him in union with him, that was all of our good. And when Adam sinned, death entered with sin and that sin and death has spread to everyone and it cascades upon itself as every single one sins. And here's the truth. Our union with Adam, once Adam was in union with God, that union was broken. And now in that brokenness and that, that fallen state, our union with Adam is absolutely inescapable. 
That is a state of every single human being that's born. And as much as we might fight against it, as much as we may think it may or may not be fair, the truth is that that explains the history of humanity better than any other history. Better than any other explanation. Why am I the way that I am? Because my father, Adam, sinned and that has passed down to me and I have simply followed in his footsteps many times over. And sin cascades and cascades upon itself. It's inescapable. Our union with Adam is inescapable in its degree. It affects every single human being. There's nobody that gets out of it because everybody traces our lineage back to Adam. Everyone was in Adam whenever he sinned. And therefore we, it is if that sin has now affected that brokenness, that fallenness has affected every single one of us. It hangs over every single one of us. It affects every single one of it. And here's what else it, it does in the degree that it in, infects every single one of us. That sin affects all of us passed down from Adam, but that sin nature that is passed down from Adam inside each and every one of us, it infects every single one of us and it bleeds into the things that we think and the things that we do. It doesn't mean that we always do terrible things. It just means that everything that we do is always a little bit tainted. It's always a little bit twisted. And we can't quite, no matter if, even if we see that we're twisted, we can't fix ourselves back. You ever tried to, uh, I don't know why, I was looking at a, a bread tie the other day that you, you tie around the top of the bread and, and ever, ever like undid it and you try to like flatten it out the way that it looked before, you can never quite get it right. That's what we're like as human beings. No matter how much we try to fix ourselves, we can't fix the kinks that are in there. And that's because that it goes all the way back to our father, Adam, and we cannot change that. We cannot get out of it. It affects everyone and it infects every single one of our thoughts and our actions to some extent. And the condemnation is inescapable. And that is separation from God and death. And here's why that's true. Because when Adam sinned, he didn't just decide to eat a piece of fruit. When Adam sinned, he was creating treason. He was committing treason against the God who made him. He was deciding, you have said, this is what I should do. Because hear what the, the, serpent, the serpent said. He said, if you... God knows if you do this, you will know good and evil and you'll be like him. And Adam said, you have created me with an intention and I am going in the opposite direction because I don't like what you're saying and I wanna be my own king, my own boss. I'm rejecting your rule and authority over me for, the, for my rule and my own authority. And as soon as he did that, that treason was broken in the condemnation and death that resulted, you may, we, we might fight against it, but it's absolutely and utterly fair. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin was indeed in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. 
Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who is a type of the one to come. And you might ask, like, why, why does Paul say that here? Why, why would he say all of a sudden, okay, I get um, a sin spread into all men because all sin, but, but now he says, for, for sin indeed was in the world before the law. Why would he say that? And, and here's why he would, because he knows as, as he is, as he is uh, writing this, he's writing to the Roman church, and there are both Jews and Gentiles there, and the Jews would have, would have heard him saying this, and, and they would have said, but wait a second, no, the law was given so that we would know what is right and wrong. So, so there can only be sin whenever, whenever you are transgressing the law of God. So what about all the people after Adam? So in other words, what he's saying is God told Adam directly, don't eat of this fruit of, the, of this tree. And Adam did it. So that was a sin. That was a transgression. But between there and Moses comes along with the 10 commandments and the other law. What about all these people? Uh, shouldn't they be innocent because they're just between Adam and Moses and they weren't transgressing any law. And he says, here's the deal. Sin still reigned because it passed down from Adam all the way through. There's no way to get around. So you can't say, hey, I'm not religious. I don't really know anything about the, the laws that God has given. I'm just out here trying to do my own thing. So therefore God can't hold me accountable. He says, no, every single person is caught under the union with Adam. Every single person. Adam represented all of mankind and you and I are stuck in our union with Adam. And if we were to stop there and close the book and go home, that would be incredibly sad and depressing, wouldn't it? But you can't understand the good news until you understand the bad news. You can't understand what it means to be, to have something else happen that pulls us out from our union with Adam until you understand that we are all as human beings stuck there and how that explains all of human history. This verse, this next verse, verse 15 is when it starts to get good though. But the free gift is not like the trespass. So the free gift that's coming up, he's getting ready to talk about, is not like the trespass that Adam committed. For if many die through one man's trespass, that is true. That's what we've been saying, right? We have all inherited sin. We've all inherited death. We've all inherited condemnation through one man's trespass, that's Adam, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one man's one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Let's look at these comparisons that he makes here. So what he's saying is that, that Adam was the type or a prefigure of the Christ, of Jesus who was to come. Uh, Jesus isn't a picture of, the, of Adam. Adam was a picture of Jesus who is to come after him. That means that, that this whole like Adam sinning and mankind falling was not a surprise to God. 
He wasn't shocked all of a sudden sitting, when he walked in, the picture of him walking into, into the into the garden and, and, and calling out for Adam and Eve isn't like me walking into the house and wondering like how did the table suddenly fall over and now there's a mess on the floor and it's still there and nobody's cleaned it up and I walk in like what, who did this kids come here and like they don't come here then you got to call louder and finally they come the picture is not of that of any sort of surprise or shock or any sort of n- lack of knowledge it says that God walks in and that he called them out, but there was no shock to him. Adam was a prefigure of the Christ who was to come afterwards. God had a plan in place before Adam was even had the breath of life breathed into him that Adam would fall and God would come and redeem mankind. That means there is no sin. Because think of how egregious the sin of Adam was that he would disobey and trespass against the good God who made him in his image and walked with him in the cool of the day that he had union with. Think of how egregious that was. As egregious as that was, God still had a plan for redemption in place. And that, the good news is there's nothing, nothing that you have done or could do that surprises God There's nothing that you have done or could do that shocks him, that says, oh, I don't know if my grace is enough to cover that. I don't know if I want to cover that in Christ. I don't know if I want that person a part of my family. God saw all the sins that were committed before they were committed, and he's put a plan in place for his son to come and to reconcile us to himself through Christ Let's look at the comparison. It says that Adam, through Adam, many died through that one man. Verse 15. But he says that God's grace through Christ is greater than that trespass to overcome that death. Do you, do you hear that? It, for, for, some, for one person to, to sin and then many died as a result of that sin, man, how do you induce a mess like that? It, but it says that the grace of Christ is powerful enough to overcome that death that is inherited from Adam. The grace of Christ is greater than the sin of Adam. And you need to hear this. The grace of Christ is greater than your sin. The grace of Christ, the blood of Christ, his sacrifice on your behalf is greater than anything that you have done or could do. It's not that God just said, hey, I'm going to overlook these bad things that you've done. I'm going to wink at them and move on. No, a price had to be paid for the sin of Adam. A price had to be paid for the sins that each one of us have committed. And God's sacrifice in Christ on our behalf is greater than all of those sins. It overcomes every single one of it. Verses 16 and 18, it says that through Adam, one trespass or one sin against God brought condemnation that passed down through all of mankind afterwards. But it says through Christ, the free gift of justification that is making us right before God through Christ overcomes many trespasses. Hear that? Adam did one sin and it brought condemnation all the way through the line and those sins have just piled up on each other in the eons since then. And yet enter Jesus. 
and his justification, his free gift overcomes all the trespasses. So not just, it's not just that the grace of God overcomes the most heinous sin that you've committed, but it overcomes all the sins that you've committed and will commit. Christian, there's no sin that you will do tomorrow. And after that, and after that, and after that, that the grace and power of Christ is not able to expunge and wipe clean and make you justified, righteous. Here's the thing. And make you as righteous as Adam and Eve were whenever they were in the garden before God. And more so because their righteousness was a righteousness of innocence. They just hadn't done anything wrong. Your righteousness that God puts on you as a believer is one that can never be broken even if you do wrong things because his work covers the most heinous and all the sins that you can add up together. Look at verse 17. It says that through Adam, death reigned over humanity. Don't, don't you feel that? The great fear that all of human beings, the great like sort of sword that hangs over every human being's head is the fear of death. It hangs over all the other fears that we have. And yet, he says that death reigned over humanity, but in Christ, hear how he changes it though. He doesn't say like life reigns. He says death reigned over humanity. He says, but those who receive grace reign in life. Here's the picture. If you are born and every single, in this person, every single person in this room has been born. If you are born, then your fate is sealed by the sin of Adam. You are, you are fated to sin and death and condemnation. And there's no way you can undo it, no way you can get out of it. It is the trap that all, all, every single one of us are in. You are fated in life if you are born a human being. But to those who receive the gift of grace, our life is no longer faded. Our life is opened up to reigning with Christ in life. Sin has no reign over me. Death has no reign over me. My life is no longer faded. My future is no longer determined by an outside force of Adam, but my future is opened up and bright before me. I don't even know. Paul says, we don't even yet know what we're gonna be like when Christ returns. We just know it's gonna be glorious. We can't imagine what it was like to see Adam and Eve in their originally created glory. We don't know what it's gonna be like for us in our glorified bodies to be living in perfect unity and harmony with Christ whenever he comes and remakes heaven and earth and all that has been wrong is made right. We can't imagine, but we know that it's gonna be amazing and our future is opened up before us. It's no longer faded before us. To all those who receive. In verse 19 it says, through Adam, one man's disobedience made us all sinners, but in Christ, his obedience to the cross made many righteous. And here's the truth. You either belong to Adam or you belong to Christ. 
There's no in-between. Because every single human being born belongs by nature to Adam. And the only way out is by receiving the free gift of grace offered to us in Christ. Have you received the gift? See, you, you don't be, you're, you're, never, you're not transported from being in the line of Adam into the line of Christ just by being around church. You're not translated from being the line of Adam to the line of Christ just by believing generally about Jesus. You're not translated from the line of Adam to the line of Christ by living a better life than the people around you, by trying to live a moral code. There's no way out that way. You are fated in Adam. There's no way out. The only way out is the simplest way that you can imagine, but it is the only way, and that is by receiving the free gift of grace offered to you through Christ. That is the only way out, but it is the way. And if you have not personally received the free gift of grace offered through Christ to transport you from the line of Adam to the, into the line of Christ, today can be the day that you do it. Don't wait. Why would you not receive that free gift? It is offered to you today, no strings attached, and the only thing that will keep you from receiving that gift is stubborn pride, just like Adam and Eve, your father and mother, to say, I'm determining to go my own way and do my own thing and not go the way that you, just, you say I should go. In verse 20, he says, now the law came in to increase the trespass. This is so as we hear, as Moses laid out the Ten Commandments and the laws, and we see as we hear from Scripture the, the life that God has called us to live, the things that he's called us to do and the things that he's called us not to do, that as that comes in, it's not good enough to fix us. It only increases our trespasses. And isn't that true for most of us who are believers, actually all of us who are believers in here, that no matter... The longer that you walk with Christ, the more you feel your sin is increased. I don't feel like I'm a better person than I was 10 years ago. I have a deeper sense of my depravity and sinfulness than I did 10 years ago. Because as I'm around hearing Man, what God has, the life that God has called me to lead and the life that God has called me to live, the things that he's called me to do and not do, the more I hear that, the more I feel sin increase within me. And yet what's the next thing it says? Where sin increased, grace abounded. You know what that word there means? Grace abounded is the picture it means super abounded. It means over and above abounded. Where sin increased, God poured out a flood of grace. Grace abounded all the more. All the more it overcomes sin so that as sin reigned in death under Adam, 
grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life. This grace that we live under as believers superabounds our sin. It superabounds death. It superabounds our connection to Adam so that now we are no longer in union to Adam, but we're in union to Christ. This is incredibly good news, but you know what it is? It's the bedrock of assurance for a believer. Because your translation from the kingdom of death and the king, to the kingdom of life is only by, through, by receiving the gift of free grace offered by Christ through his work. And that's the only thing that, that's, that keeps us there and nothing can take us out. That is your assurance. Just as you can't work your way out of Adam, you can't work your way out of Christ. Believer, if you're a Christian, your assurance is solid, not in your actions, but in the superabounding grace of Christ to you.